you know him now. Hold on one second. I just got a really, really clear picture um, of Lazarus coming out of the grave. And Jesus is calling him. He, he said, remove the stone. And he said, Lazarus, come out. He is calling us out. He is calling us to resurrected life. And then he said, take off the burial cloths. He was bound hand and foot, and there was a burial cloth around his face. What is stopping us from seeing? What's the stuff from the past that's over our eyes that's a burial cloth? What's around our hands that is stopping us being activated? What's stopping our mobility? What's stopping us moving where God wants? What's around our feet? And Jesus is so clearly saying, take off the burial cloths. We can do that together. It was the others that came and did that. It wasn't Jesus. We're a community. And he's calling us to life, life with him. And I just want to encourage us, let's not be satisfied with limitations, with bindings. And share with each other. Let's help each other. Yeah, move forward in this. It's so good because he wants, just like Lazarus, went on and carried on with life. He wants us to carry on with life. Thank you. That's good. I'm actually going to be going to some of that. Uh, it's a little bit later this morning. So I want you to hold on to that idea of what is over our eyes that is stopping us seeing? Also, what is clouding our mind that is stop us, stopping us from understanding? Because I believe the same thing, that a lot of us are still in a tomb. And even if we have walked out of that tomb, we're still kind of wrapped up. And we're not living the life that God has called us to. And so what I want for myself, what I need for myself is a vision of myself in Christ that is different to who I am now. Because if my experience of faith and my experience of Christ and His Spirit right now is all I'm going to get, I am dissatisfied. I am dissatisfied because He has given me a taste, and the taste is good. It is very good. But I need more. I need more than a taste. I need the full Three, four course meal. I'm looking forward to dessert too. But I feel like I've been where I am now for quite a while. I have this sense that after being in faith for 20 years, maybe I should be a bit further along than I am now. Uh, after three years in faith, Peter and the disciples were performing the most amazing miracles and leading thousands to Christ. Uh, my numbers aren't quite there. But more than kind of ministry stuff, me personally, I kind of thought that, well, maybe I, I should be deeper than I am. I've 
plateaued and been in the same place for, for so long, living on yesterday's and last year's and last decade's revelation. Uh, and you can get comfortable. And me, I can get bogged down in the job of it. It complicates things when, you, uh, when you're a Christian for a paycheck. It really complicates things. So I need more. And what, I, what I want to have is a vision of myself six months from now, a year from now. And in that place, that vision of myself, I know him so much better. My intimacy with him is amazing. My experience of his spirit is just on completely different levels. My understanding of his word and his will for me is just way, way out there. But if I'm the same as I am now, in six months' time, something really sad is going on. And the same is true for you. If six months from now, spiritually, you are exactly the same as you are now, something very sad has happened. I feel that perhaps we've let you down. Perhaps you've let yourself down. But I cannot believe for a second that God has somehow dropped the ball there. Because no one is as desperate for intimacy and depth with you as our God. So we've got to find the disconnect there. So that six months from now, even a month from now, we have more. We have more and we are in a different place. Now that, that could sound quite deep and full on and spiritual. Woohoo! But that's Discipleship 101. That's Discipleship 101. Matthew 28, 19 20. Jesus, just before he ascends to heaven, lays this on his disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. He didn't call his, his followers to make converts. He didn't ask them to put on a meeting and get everyone just to run to the front and say a prayer, and then we're sorted. He said, make disciples. Disciples is a, is a deep word. There's a lot going on in it. You, um, you don't really see the, the, the term used outside of uh, religious and faith circles. Uh, disciple means uh, a follower. Uh, a student, an apprentice is probably a, a good word for it. Mathetuo, a follower, an apprentice. It is more than someone who's just grabbed onto a concept or uh, has a certain doctrine uh, that they agree to. There's someone who has put their faith in and is walking in the ways of the person, the mentor that they are, they are following. And this is what we are called to produce. This is what Jesus laid on his disciples. It wasn't just to pass on his teachings, but to equip people to grab those teachings and obey. Discipleship over the course of my 12-year career has been my greatest passion. I, uh, as a youth pastor, put on so many gospel camps and to be fair, it wasn't that hard to get young people to run to the front and raise their hands and say a prayer 
wasn't that hard at all. It's not hard to be caught up in the moment. It's not hard to, uh, to have a glimpse of what Christ is offering and reach up for it. That's not hard at all. What's hard is to follow Christ, to leave your old life behind, to, to try to kill off your sinful nature and live by the Spirit. That is hard. But that is what we're called to, not converts, disciples. So I've been meditating lately on discipleship and how we do it. And we're looking at, uh, at how we disciple people here at The Rock. And time and time again, I've been pulled back to, to Jesus. And uh, his followers wrote down story after story, the journey of Jesus on earth and how he discipled them. And it is fascinating. If you want to learn how to disciple people, you want to go to the master. You see how Jesus discipled people. And um, what I found particularly fascinating is how Jesus discipled one particular guy who is uh, an interesting fellow called Peter. And I like Peter because Peter's so rough and ready and he's such a bloke. He's really, really blokey. And... Most of the time, he's a bit of a muppet as well. So I identify him with him quite closely. Uh, he struggled time and time to get things, but he stuck with it. And so uh, I've been actually preaching through uh, a series, uh, mostly at night, on uh, how Jesus discipled the Apostle Peter, looking at what we can learn through that. And so uh, last Sunday night, um, uh, we got to the, the part of the story where... Uh, uh, Jesus had displayed his spiritual power uh, to his disciples. They, um, they had been, they'd received an invitation to follow this new hot happening rabbi, and so they dropped their nets and everything else that they were doing to follow after this guy. Uh, but then Jesus showed them something special uh, by manipulating the subatomic particles in water molecules. He made fine wine. That's a very, very cool trick. And it says in John chapter 2 that after this, the apostles or the disciples put their faith in him. So they went from following a wise rabbi to a man who carried the power of God. Is this possibly the Messiah? That miracle changed everything. And what it established on Jesus is that he was more than a wise teacher. He now carried spiritual authority over and above anyone else in the land. Wow. And then, based on that spiritual authority, Jesus began to teach. And he taught in ways and said things that no one had ever heard before. And when he began teaching, he, he uh, went up to the, the Mount of Olives and he sat down there and a large crowd gathered around him. Matthew chapter 5. And I'm sure that well, we've had countless messages preached out of Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7. And I really encourage you to look at that in your meditations over the next couple of weeks and look at it with fresh eyes. As recorded in Matthew 5 and Mark 2 and Luke 6 and John 3, Jesus launched the teaching ministry 
that would take his disciples on a rather special educational journey that did not so much just replace obsolete knowledge with new relevant data, but rather it replaced the way that they thought about everything. He replaced frameworks. He replaced paradigms. World views changed as he said these things. Jesus did not teach in such a way to fill his disciples' heads with knowledge. He taught to transform their lives. And this is the difference. And this is what we need to understand here. There was some major disconnect in the promised land. We're talking about a religious environment where the, uh, the religious leaders, the rabbis, the Pharisees had dedicated their lives to the word of God, to the point where they could recite every word in it from memory. They could recite all the prophecies of the coming Messiah, every one of them, that he would come from such a place as Bethlehem, that he would suffer. They could recite the whole prophecy of Isaiah. But when that Messiah walked up to him, up to them, they couldn't see him. They couldn't recognize him. So even though they had the word of God and could decide it better than any of us, I'm sure, can, it hadn't touched their hearts. So they had accumulated this religious knowledge, which you would have thought would have just changed everything. Wouldn't you like to be able to recite the whole book from memory? Wouldn't that be a game changer? It didn't turn out to be that for them. They had the word, but they were missing something. And so a standard rabbi in Jesus' day would have continued to work with his disciples, getting them to work through exercises so that they would also learn the word and would equip them to teach that to others. But what use is knowledge if it doesn't affect you? What use is knowledge if it doesn't transform you? They continue to perpetuate a system of religious legalism. They didn't touch the heart of who God is. So this next step in Peter's journey with Jesus was a rather intense tutorial on what would prove a very different perspective on life. Peter's spiritual knowledge, while it was growing all the time, was still very limited. He would have had some religious instruction as a boy, but he had dedicated his working life to catch fish and feed people. His understanding of what Jesus meant by the kingdom, in particular, was woefully deficient. But this was to be expected. Jesus had only begun to teach. So Peter listened to Jesus give sermon after sermon, sometimes clarifying familiar points of Jewish law, but in most cases turning it completely upside down. Everything Peter knew about life and the law was being revolutionized. There were surely times when Peter understood the gist of what Jesus said and times when God revealed something to him. But more often than not, Peter was just confused and frustrated. At this point, all Jesus asked of Peter and the others was for them to listen, to soak it up, and to keep following. These were very challenging concepts. The disciples were being told that Jesus expects practical, everyday transformation in his people. Every day. What he was bringing was not about Sabbath wasn't about the synagogue 
It wasn't about ticking the boxes in your religious duty and then getting on with your real life. There would be no more of the dry, powerless religion that required you to tithe your herbs and spices but allowed you to ignore the poor. Peter and the other disciples were not going to understand these new teachings until they first unlearned a few things. They'd had a lot of things drilled into them. And a lot of us have as well. From when we were children, we have picked up all kinds of religious information. Some of it true, some of it far from what God has for us. But we build this up and we file it away. The rabbis had taught them they could live by the letter of the law without any regard to the spirit of it. The teaching of Jesus opened the law wide so that the people could see the heart of God in his commands. Five times in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus utters these words, You have heard that it was said. And then he goes on to quote an Old Testament law that the Jews had been misunderstanding and misapplying. And from there he taught them the deeper real truth. From Jesus they learned that adultery started in the heart, not in the bed. That murder can be committed with the weapon of anger. And that the contemporary attitudes about divorce were unacceptable because they victimized women and destabilized the pillar of marriage in their society. They were shocked when Jesus told them to love their enemies rather than follow the well-known eye-for-an-eye rule. And if they, attack, if they were attacked, they should take the hit rather than retaliate. That would have been crazy talk for a rough-and-ready fisherman like Peter. Jesus told them they must forgive others if they expected to be forgiven. He pointed out the hypocrisy of worshipping money or professing to worship God. He told them that there was no point in stressing about life's worries because their Father in heaven knew what they needed and was perfectly capable of supplying their needs. Now, how many of us have, have read these, these teachings in the Sermon on the Mount? How many of us have done countless word of the day and daily bread devotions on these teachings? But how deep has it actually sunk? How transformed are you? When someone wrongs you, is your heart transformed to a point to just to take it and to forgive them? Or do you want to get back at them? Do you want to find a way to make sure they're punished and receive something in return for their grievance? How many of us are at a point where our heart is purified and we are not lusting and committing adultery in here? How many of us still struggle with anger and carry that in our hearts? How many of us continue to seek after money and put that before our passion for the Lord? See, I'm sure we could quote a lot of these texts and agree with them in principle. But have they changed our lives? Jesus went on to admonish them about their judgmental tendencies, expose their blatant hypocrisies, and warn them of the futile professions of empty faith that were not substantiated by authentic lives of faithful obedience. He postscripted this revolutionary teaching by saying that just listening to what he told them was not enough. They had to do what he said. Anything less was hollow religion and no foundation for true faith 
and a truly transformed life. Do you want to be a religious person? Do you want to be good at religion? Do you want to be good at this churchy stuff? Could you think of something better to do with your time this morning if this isn't real and authentic for you? I'd probably have more sleep. I'd probably sleep a lot later and then have a big fry up. That's what I would do on a Sunday morning. If I didn't truly believe that this is the truth and this is the real deal. So if I'm going to be here on a Sunday, and if I'm going to be true to a faith every day of the week, I need to do a lot more than just go through the motions. It was becoming more and more clear to Peter that Jesus was unveiling a completely different worldview. A worldview that he preached from the same scriptures that the religious leaders taught from. But with true knowledge, insight, wisdom, authority and power. People were amazed listening to Jesus because they hadn't heard teaching like this. His insight and wisdom astounded people, even when he was a young boy. People were amazed. How can a boy of this age know these things? Jesus was speaking out against legalism, exhorting a life of obedience, welling up from a heart of love for the Lord. He was presenting a spiritual experience that influenced every dimension of life, not just what happened at synagogue or what you did during the Sabbath. Peter and the other disciples assumed that the kingdom of God would be a powerful, revolutionary political movement. This is what they thought. And so you can understand why, why uh, Simon the Zealot was uh, one of Jesus' number. He thought, this guy really is the Messiah. I want to follow him because he's going to turn this whole world upside down. He's going to kick the Romans out. That's what they thought the Messiah was going to do. He was going to overthrow the Roman conquerors and would reestablish the rightful Hebrew monarchy and would reign over them as king. That's what they wanted. They wanted a strong, military, Jewish king. That was their Messiah. But that is not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, but they were not yet hearing, that the kingdom he had come to establish was not a political realm, but a spiritual one. It was all about the rule of God in the hearts of men and women. It would be rooted in their hearts by an understanding of God's love for sinners and would produce in them a love for this God of grace. And the more they understood the love of God, the more they would grab that and love him in return. And that would also produce in them a love for others, a love beyond themselves, a care, a concern, a compassion for those around them. But they had a long way to go before they grasped that message. Even though Jesus dealt in lofty concepts, he couched them in captivating everyday stories. He touched on these great themes of human existence by telling simple tales from daily life. The crowds couldn't get enough of Jesus' parables. Not that they always or usually understood them. In fact, much to his frustration, even Peter and Jesus' closest disciples completely missed the point 
time after time. But Jesus persevered with them, and along the way, their eyes were opened more and more to what the kingdom of God was really about. And they started to discover what their role in that kingdom might be. And Jesus' teaching was punctuated with miracles, confirmations that Jesus was, had the spiritual authority to speak for God, and reminders that God is powerful and that he is merciful. Peter and the disciples received the words straight from the Master, but they didn't always get the message. And the result was a painfully slow process of transformation taking place in their lives. But they continued to persevere with him. They continued to follow Jesus and hear his teachings, even when they were entirely confounded by what they heard. We too must persevere in God's word, continuing to seek him in it, even when we don't understand it, and trusting that he will give us understanding when we need it. I used to believe that every time I opened the Bible and read something, that God was going to drop something huge on me. That every time I read something, there was a special message in there for me. The more I think about Jesus' ministry with his disciples, I see time and time again that Jesus was constantly sowing seeds with them. He was planting something in their spirit, something that would come to germinate and grow at the right time. What I needed to be doing was just, I needed to be open to hearing his word, reading it, soaking it up and letting him plant seeds in me. And not just throwing it away and getting frustrated with it just because there wasn't some huge life-changing revelation every time I opened it. Christ's truth is very different from the world's truth. Many of the teachings of God are the opposite of accepted thought can seem illogical and irrational to the natural mind. And they are often rather unpopular, to say the least. I uh, remember an anecdote uh, that uh, Brooke Fraser in a secular magazine shared. She was uh, being interviewed and the reporter asked her what it was like being at the forefront of a new wave of hot young Christian icons now that Christianity was starting to be cool again. Apparently, she almost fell off her chair laughing. Um, she's quite a funny laugh, if you've ever heard Brooke. Um, which I think she might have snorted. Uh, Brooke responded by sharing a story uh, from a music uh, industry party she was at recently. A group of uh, musos and industry types were uh, hanging out at this event, and they were small-talking, and, and uh, one young woman shared how she was starting to get into Buddhism. It was really trippy. Everyone in the group was like, wow, wow, Buddhism, that sounds really cool. And it sparked this hugely engaged conversation about this trendy uh, Eastern religion. So everyone wanted to know about it and what you do and was it bringing you peace and all this kind of thing. And apparently Brooke was noticeably quite quiet in this conversation. Someone asked her, oh, Brooke, Brooke, you're kind of spiritual, aren't you? What do, what do you think about all this, this kind of stuff? And Brooke said, uh, well, I'm a Christian and... For me, everything is spiritual. And eyes were rolled, and before you knew it, it was like a ghost town. Everyone had drifted off to find another conversation and another drink. Right, so you want to talk about spiritual things, do you? Just not Christianity. Brooke said to the, uh, the reporter, 
I'm a Christian not because it's cool, because in this world it's not. I'm a Christian because it's the truth. If we're going to be a follower in such a countercultural and divisive faith as this, we might as well do it properly. The way Jesus taught it and the way he lived it. Not just what has been handed down to us by church tradition. George Barner is uh, an American uh, sociologist uh, who uh, runs a company which, uh, which takes uh, amazing surveys, uh, mainly to, to uh, gauge and assess how things are going and uh, religious climate in America and particularly looking at churches. And time after time, his surveys are surveying the feeling of the unchurched uh, towards uh, Christian faith and the church provide these uh, heavily weighted results. That the world in general, the Western world in general, are interested and are favourable towards the character of Jesus and what they believe he represents. They are completely opposed and turned off by their understanding of the church and what the church represents. So the church stands countercultural to this world, but seems to be quite far removed from what Jesus was and how he was countercultural to the world. So we're not getting on with the world that well, but they want Jesus. So that's, but they can't find him apparently uh, among us. That's a sweeping generalization, but that's how the world feels. So we present ourselves countercultural, but uh, don't present Christ among that. It's very interesting. Because we continue to pass on just those things from church tradition that have been handed down to us. Jesus challenged the disciples with his teachings, flipping many of them firmly uh, on their head. And when we study Jesus' teachings in Scripture, we likewise need to reconsider those things that have been handed down to us. I, um, on my first day on the job, as, uh, in my first uh, youth internship, uh, 90, back in 98, uh, my boss handed me a very large book of systematic theology. And he said, mate, this will get you started. Right, so all I need to be a legend youth pastor is uh, Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. It's actually pretty good as far as big fat systematic theology textbooks go, but I poured over this thing. Because my understanding was, well, as a youth pastor, I needed to fill the heads of these young people with all this knowledge about God and about Christian faith. And if I filled their heads with, the, with this knowledge and they were able to uh, soak up uh, uh, all of these doctrines, well, then they'd be equipped to follow God. And so what I went on to do was actually produce uh, uh, people in, in my image, people who had their heads filled with doctrine. Uh, most of that doctrine, I, I, I still believe, is true and good and useful. But what I was producing was knowledgeable uh, religious people who didn't actually have a real personal connection with God at all. I was doing exactly what the rabbis were doing. When we study Jesus' teachings in Scripture, we, we need to reconsider the things that we thought were true and test them against the objective truth of God's Word with the illumination of His Spirit. And that last bit's the key that I really missed. I had all of this knowledge stored away and I puffed myself up because I was the answers guy. If you need to know something, 
Back where I came from, I was, oh, I'd be the guy you'd come and talk to. And I would explain to you the mysteries of God from my understanding of theology. And I would see kind of eyes open as people would, would, would kind of get a concept. But I didn't see any deep spiritual growth as a result of that because this key element was missing. People were grabbing knowledge from me, but nothing deeply spiritual. Without the illumination of the Spirit, and it, it's almost difficult for me to say this, without the illumination of the Spirit, the book has lost its worth completely. And I've come to know this to be true because the rabbis had the book and they didn't have Christ. It didn't save them. They did not have the illumination of the Holy Spirit to activate it and turn it into faith. Faith comes from hearing. But you don't really hear it until the Spirit opens your ears. We will miss the point altogether, just as Peter did time and time again, until Jesus left him with this parting gift. Luke 24:45. Just before Jesus ascended to heaven, after his time on earth was over, he opened the minds of the disciples so that they could understand the scriptures. There needed to be a spiritual transaction here to see past the ink on the page to actually grasp the spiritual meaning of the parables Jesus had been sharing and the prophecies of old. They needed the Holy Spirit to open their eyes to see, open their minds to perceive, to understand. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. Luke says in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Too much of our time in God's word for a lot of us does not involve an encounter with the Holy Spirit at all. So we read it with our eyes and not eyes open with the Holy Spirit. We receive our instruction through Bible teachers and not through the Holy Spirit. We receive our instruction through devotion writers, and not through the Holy Spirit. The disciples had Jesus' teaching, they had access to the Scriptures, but they needed the Holy Spirit to activate it, to illuminate it, to make sense of it, and to write it on their hearts. Jesus himself said in John 14, I will ask the Father, verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. Verse 26. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. This is who Jesus said the Holy Spirit was and what his role was for us. But do we engage with him in this way? The Holy Spirit is the counselor. He is the teacher. He is the one who is going to teach us all things. He is the one that is going to remind us 
what Jesus has said to us. But do we listen to him? Do we seek after him? Do we go to him when we don't know? Acts chapter 2 says that the disciples of the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to studying, absorbing, meditating, and applying the teaching of those who had walked with Jesus and received his teaching in his spirit. The teachings of Jesus are more accessible now than they ever have been. There was a time when you would, you would need to sneak un- into the catacombs under Rome to hear the teachings of Jesus. There was a time when you would have to go down to Solomon's Colonnade in the Temple District if you wanted to hear God's word. But all of those teachings have been compiled into this book. And now if you want to soak up God's word, you just need to roll over the bed and reach over to your table there and grab it. God's word is right there. But do we do that? Do we reach over? Do we seek him in it? Do we engage with his Holy Spirit in it? In the first instance, I need you to search the scriptures tonight to see if my presentation of them was accurate. With the discernment of the Holy Spirit, test to see if my explanation is integrity. And this is what we must do every time we sit under anyone's teaching, read a devotional or anything else. Close your eyes and pray. Lord, Spirit, is this your word? Is this your truth? Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your word. Test everything. The truth is that men and women get it wrong. The Spirit never does. So ask him to confirm all things. And in Life Group this week, dig deep into God's word together. Debrief the sermons you've heard here at The Rock. Feed each other on God's word And as the Apostle James said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Those who listen to the word but do not do what it says are people who look at their faces in the mirror and after looking at themselves go away and immediately forget what they look like. But those who look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continue in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And so here's what I... Here's what I want us to do to give us some more momentum in our discipleship journey of transformation. I want us to take some time now to pray together. Because as you've been hearing over the last couple of months, what we are lacking by and large is sight. We do not see what God wants to show us. We are missing sight. We are missing hearing. We have a hearing impairment. We are not hearing what God is trying to say to us. And when I say us, I mean me. I'm not seeing everything. I'm not hearing everything. And I don't want to miss out on what God has for us. So this is, this is what we do. I don't, I don't want to call an altar call to the front of those who want more. I want this to do as a community. So I want us to pray together. And if you don't want to, if you don't want to pray this for yourself, I want us as a community to pray this for each other. Because there are people among us who are hungry. And they don't want to be left behind. They don't want to miss out on what God has for them. And so what we need 
is eyes to see. So I want us to pray together now that God would open my eyes to see what he wants to show us. That's us as a community, but also me personally. This church is going somewhere. God has a very powerful vision for us. We are on the move. But God also has something very special for you personally. And he wants you to see what he wants to show you. So we're going to pray that God would open our eyes to see what he wants to show us, that he would open our ears to hear, that we would hear his voice, that he would, um, that he would renew our minds to understand. This is something that Greg's been speaking about lately. There are truths here that the disciples did not get when they heard Jesus speak them because their minds had not been renewed. So I'm going to pray for a renewed mind that can grasp and understand what God has for us. We're going to pray that God would soften our hearts to receive this word. This has got to be more than an intellectual exercise here. It is beyond understanding. We've got to more than just get the concept. We've got to, we've got to embody it. We've got to have that sown in our hearts so it takes root and changes who we are. So you can believe something, but not let it change your life. And lastly, we need to pray for a boldness, a faith that will lead us to obey. When God shows us where he wants us to go, when he shows us the vision of ourselves that he has in mind, this vision six months from now, one year from now, that is in a different place, when we see that vision, when we hear his voice, when we perceive his word, what we need now is the faith to step out into that so that we are not the same six months from now. Something's got to change. So what I want us to do, and we've been trying this at night a little bit lately, I want us to just to take some time now to turn around, get into some small groups, and pray over these things. You can also ask the people in your group if there's anything else that you, that you want to pray for. The healings that you heard about on Sunday night, that was spontaneous, that was not programmed. God wanted to move in power, and so people shared their needs in group, and God moved. So let's leave some room for that as well.